Welcome to Money Isn't Scary, a podcast for women to explore our fears around money and inspire each other to be financially empowered. I'm Megan Dwyer, and I'm making it my personal mission to remove the taboo around money and help women rewrite their stories so they can stop staying small and begin to live life on their terms. In this show, we get real and uncomfortable as we unpack our beliefs, thoughts, and behaviors that aren't serving us anymore. I can't wait for you to join me on this journey. So let's dive in. Hey, you guys. Welcome to the Money Isn't Scary podcast. I'm Megan Dwyer. Today, I'm sharing my conversation with Bobby Rebel, certified financial planner, author, and founder of Financial Wellness Strategies. Bobby is amazing and smart, and this conversation was so interesting and insightful for everyone, whether you're a parent or not. So who is Bobby? Bobby Rebel is the founder of Financial Wellness Strategies and the author of Launching Financial Grownups, Live Your Richest Life by Helping Your Almost Adult Kids Become Everyday Money Smart. She is a financial wellness advocate, the host of the Wellness for Financial Grownups podcast, and founder of grownupgear.com. Bobby was previously a global business news anchor and personal finance columnist at Reuters and held various journalist positions at top news outlets, including CNBC, CNN, and PBS. Her book, Launching Financial Grownups, is a call to action for parents of teenagers and young adults who want the best for their kids, but are beginning to realize their own financial independence and financial separation from their children has to become a priority as well. It's also a practical guide for how best to raise our children into financially responsible, independent young adults in our rapidly changing, increasingly competitive economy. This book is so important. It's so necessary to have out there and everybody's got to get a copy. In our conversation, we talk about what inspired Bobby to write Launching Financial Grownups, the difference between helicopter parents and concierge parents and how to tell if you are one. How, as parents, we can learn to let go and trust our kids to lead their own lives. Strategies for talking to kids about money at any age and so much more. You guys can find Bobby Rebel at her website, financialwellnessstrategies.com. You can get her book, Launching Financial Grownups, anywhere you find your books, especially on Amazon. You can also check out her Money Tips for Financial Grownups podcast. You can find that anywhere you listen to podcasts. And you can also check out her website, bobbyrebell.com. And that's B-O-B-B-I-R-E-B-E-L-L.com. She's also out there on social media, Instagram, Facebook, Twitter, LinkedIn, at Bobby Rebell. All the links I'll put in the show notes as well. All right, you guys, without further ado, here is my conversation with the incredible Bobby Rebell. Enjoy. Hi, Bobby. Welcome to the Money Isn't Scary podcast. Thanks so much for being here today. Thank you so much for having me. I am really excited about this conversation today. So we have a lot in common. We are both moms. We are both CFPs. Uh, We both have podcasts and we both care an awful lot about helping people feel empowered around their finances. My audience here is mostly women and in particular moms. And I think this is going to be an incredible conversation because this is really the intersection of two extremely important topics that many of us don't feel confident around money and parenting. So I'd love to start by having you tell us a little bit about yourself and the work that you do. 
Well, first of all, to your point, I definitely do not feel comfortable. This may surprise people, but I feel very uncomfortable sometimes about money and parenting as a combination. It's really hard. And the fact that I was struggling with it was the inspiration for my recent book, which is called Launching Financial Grownups, Live Your Richest Life by Helping Your Almost Adult Kids Become Everyday Money Smart. And the book was inspired by the fact that, as you mentioned, I'm a certified financial planner, but despite knowing a lot about money, you know, at least on paper, I had a really hard time teaching my older kids about money. There were so many books out there for little kids. And I did that with my younger son who, you know, we did the save, spend, give jars and all of that. And that's great. But when your kids are in college and they're making these decisions, often with social pressure, both in-person actual friend social pressure, and also social pressure coming through social media and Instagram and TikTok, you find yourself a little bit helpless. So that inspired launching financial grownups. You asked me about my background. So my background is actually in journalism. So it's very rare, but I am one of those rare journalists who became a certified financial planner. And we joked about whether the CFP board actually thought I would pass the test, but I did. And they very graciously accepted me as a certified financial planner, a little more to it than that. Yeah. But, um, I, I do take it very seriously. It's a huge responsibility to be a certified financial planner. And it's been a wonderful addition to my journalism and to my career as an author. So I, I really think that it's very important. And again, we talked about this, that people be careful about the sources where they get their financial information. You as a certified financial planner are a wonderful source. People should keep listening to your podcast. But when you do follow somebody on social media or listen to somebody's podcast, please understand their credentials and also where their loyalty lies. If they are sending affiliate links, which there's nothing wrong with that in and of itself, but just be aware of what they're selling and their messaging and where their income stream may come from, because that can really inform how much you should listen to them and how much expertise they really have. Very often people on the internet just have their own personal experience, which is valuable, but that doesn't mean that they can necessarily give you the best advice. So be careful about your sources. Good to know. Thank you. I appreciate it. So how did you get into this line of work? Like what what was your motivation to, you know, you said you were you did some financial journalism work. What what made you interested in personal finance to begin with? I'm just curious. So that's actually very interesting because I wanted to be a journalist and I thought I was going to do local news television. But there was a little bit of a snag in that uh, my father wanted me to go work on Wall Street, which is what he did. And so we reached and I was financially dependent on my father, let's say that. And also, yeah. frankly, got along with him very well. I wasn't looking to be defiant or anything. I was also very practical as a um, older teenager as I entered college. And so we came to the idea that rather than interning at a local news station doing like crime stories and lifestyle stories, I would, um, I did get an internship at CNN in the business news department because I would learn about news. And then I would also learn about finances to my father's point so that if I did change my mind, I would be able to get a quote real job on Wall Street. So I got my start as an unpaid intern working overnights at times for CNN and uh, after I graduated, um, I was able to get a job at CNBC as a production assistant. And from there, worked my way up through CNBC, through CNN, through a PBS program called Nightly Business Report, which isn't around anymore. And then I was at Reuters as a global business news anchor. And I also wrote a column 
a personal finance column that was globally syndicated, uh, which eventually led to me writing my first book, which was How to Be a Financial Grown-Up. What made you want to go with that angle, working with kids as they're kind of transitioning into the adult world versus just working with adults? I needed help, Megan. Yeah, I had yeah. all the information, but when it comes to teenagers, it doesn't matter how much you know. They're not interested in you know just you lecturing them. Right. You have to really learn how to hear what they're saying, how to really listen to what they need and what they're trying to communicate to you. It's a question of timing. It's a question of how you approach them, the tone of your voice what you're, you know, what's, what's the value proposition for them? You have to really understand that. And I was at a loss. I was having a really hard time. So um, I'm part of a blended family. So I have now a 15 year old son with my husband and I have two older kids who are now 23 and 26 who are my bonus kids. And so this book was really inspired by them. Uh, we had, I should say, just, they lived with us full time. And so we were dealing with all of the ins and outs of, you know, their young adult life and they are great kids. They always had jobs and income and I was trying to get them to open up Roth IRAs. And I thought I had given them all the tools. I explained to them what it was. I explained to them that this was a window of their life when hopefully they would someday earn enough money that they wouldn't even qualify for Roth IRAs because there's, there's an income cap, but yep. they certainly qualified now and their tax rates were low. And this is an amazing opportunity and, and go do it. You know, here you can go to my broker um, who will be very happy to help you because we know they want to get the next generation of money in there. You can, you know, open up an account at any of these discount brokerages, or if you have another way you want to go, tell me, I'll help you do that. And they just said, Yes, we will do it. And guess what they did? They did not do it. They did not do it. And <laughs> this went on for months. And then, as you know, there's a deadline and we're getting all this tension in the house. And so, you know, things really came to a head and I finally got through to them and it was ugly. It was really unpleasant. We had some uncomfortable conversations about something that should be very positive. And uh, the book was inspired by the outcome of that. And an important part of that is that while they both technically opened up accounts because I force them to only one of them put money into the account. Mm -hmm. And the reason, so that one that put in was my stepson who was younger, was just entering college and had no aspirations to make a large purchase in the future. And therefore he had a long timeline to invest in stocks. And we know that's really important. If anyone has been following the market these days, you do not want to have to get to that money because you might be in a timeline when it's not doing so well and you could have to take a loss. My stepdaughter, who was at the uh, later years of college, maybe she was a junior, I think, she um, she wanted to buy a home. And she said, well, if I put the money in the market, what if it goes down? I want to save this money and I want to buy a home ASAP after college. Two years specifically was the timeline that she expected. And so this goes to the point of listening. While I could say every young person who's earning money should absolutely have a Roth IRA, in this case, she really was focused on this specific goal and she did not want to invest the money in the stock market. She did not want to have to pull it out, even though you can get it out of a Roth IRA, I should say. Mm -hmm. You can get it out. For a first time she home purchase, yes. Right. You can, to a point. This is Manhattan, mm -hmm. but still. Um, <laughs> but the point being, there really was no benefit because she was, I mean, she. it was such a short-term goal and it was so lofty that she made the case that she just didn't want to do it. You, you, She could have put some in, yes. But by listening to her and understanding, she didn't, the money was not going to be for retirement. 
was the takeaway. Yep. This money that was her short-term goal, she was still going to do the 401k and she did when she got her actual job. Remember, we're talking about a 20-year-old. It's okay if you're mm -hmm. 20 and you have another goal to not put money in a retirement account. If you don't, throw it in the retirement account. Absolutely. But she did that when she was 22 and got a full-time job. She was doing the 401k. She wanted to buy a home and she wanted that down payment. And so once I listened to her yeah. and heard why she didn't want to focus on her retirement savings at age 20, I understood and I was supportive of her and she did achieve that goal. And, and you can read more about it, obviously in the book. Yeah. Well, good for her for having yeah. those goals at such a young age, because I certainly wasn't at the age of 20. I was you know, concerned with more with cool. what I was wearing. Yeah, but and <laughs> you, you didn't have a mother that was writing books about you. So, you know. Correct. Yeah. And so, so you know, these poor kids are, you know, they're my little guinea pigs and yeah. they, you know, and she, by the way, she did write the epilogue to the book. Oh, awesome. Very cool. Yeah. Absolutely. Have to go check that out. So to, to that point though, I mean, I really appreciate your vulnerability here because I think so many of us teach the things that we need to learn ourselves, right? That, that we need to know. And so I think as parents, we want to always protect our kids and we want to be able to tell them what is best for them. And oftentimes yeah. I think we kind of struggle with letting them tell us what's best for them yeah. and letting them trust yeah. themselves. I know that's something that I kind of struggled with because I was sort of always... I grew up in a, in a world where I didn't trust myself because I think I was, I kind of believed that everybody else knew better than what I, what I knew, which was hard as I got into, you know, after college and got into the real world and all of that. And that's kind of my own personal journey. But I think now that I'm a parent, I see that and I see that I have to kind of let go a little bit. So I'd love to kind of hear a little bit more about your perspective on that and how you kind of work with your kids and what you've learned yourself around letting go and trusting, trusting them. I love that you do a gut check because I think that's something really important for parents to do. And we often don't. And again, to reiterate, this book is written from a perspective of my mistakes, not my successes. Mm -hmm. I'm very much learning along with the reader. And there's many amazing experts in the book that give their perspectives. I think that one thing that concerns me is that, and I'm a Gen Xer, is that many of us are helicopter parents, even though we know intellectually we're doing it, we can't stop ourselves. We still do it. Right. Right. Something just happened to someone in our family. They have a career blip. And the first instinct of my husband and I was like to get in there and fix it. Yeah. And we have to stop ourselves and yeah. be like, no, we're not going to do that. The danger is what's been happening in our society. And this is something that I address in launching financial grownups is this idea of we're going from helicopter parents to concierge parents. And a concierge parent is someone just like a concierge that's easily accessible at all times, often with technology, mm -hmm. and can usually solve your problems, often with money. Mm -hmm. And that's what we are becoming as parents. And we have to stop ourselves because the yeah. truth is, why would our children stop us? It's a great situation for them. And they do, they text us and they call us and they ask for money and we give it. It's really hard not to, but that is something that's facing our generation as a whole. And it's something that I think we need to be talking more about. And that's a lot of the inspiration for the book is to get people talking about this phenomenon of concierge parenting and what we can do about it. Yeah, I love this topic. I love it because I think a lot of times we don't realize that we're even doing it, right? So mm -hmm. again, it sort of goes back to the theme of intention and 
taking a step back again and being like, well, how do we want our kids to be in this world? How do we want to raise them? What, what humans do we want them to grow into? And if we don't stop and kind of think about what we're doing to impact that, because we all know how, how important our childhoods are in creating who we are today in the way that we think and the beliefs that we have, then, you know, I think we need to really take some time to, to think through this. So I love that you're doing that kind of work. So let's dive into some of the more concrete tools and things that you say in the book, right? So how, how do we talk to our kids about money? I have a four and a six-year-old, so they are very little still. My six-year-old just recently, oh, he's almost seven. And he just, he has all these little dollar bills in his piggy bank. And he was saying, mom, I need a wallet. Mom, I need a bank account. And I'm like, yes, you do. You are my son for sure. I'm so ecstatic as a CFP mom that he's even aware of these things and bringing them to my attention. But I'm just curious, you know, I know he's very young, right? But how do you kind of, what, what are the right strategies, I guess, to start talking to kids at this age. And then as they get older, I know it's going to be different based on what the child is able to understand. Right. But I'm curious kind of how you have those conversations with your kids. As you said, it's different based on age, but age is just a number, Megan. Yeah. Um, It's also based on the child's um, maturity, their interest level, their ability to understand things, also their ability to be discreet. As kids get older, if you want to start sharing some of the situations that your family's in, although what's happening now because of technology and information, kids can look up their own address and see what their house is worth versus their friends should they have that curiosity. So people can sort of figure out where they are. They can look up what your car costs, for example, which they may not have been able to do when, you know, I certainly, I never thought to do it, but I certainly couldn't have really done it. Never. I never would have thought of that. So don't assume kids know less. They they know a lot. Um, they they often know who the rich kids are in their grade and and who maybe is uh, my son goes to a private school. They might know who's on scholarship. And so what you want to do is also manage their perspective on those things and make sure that they um, understand your values and your perspectives and the way that you approach money, whatever that is. Um, and people do, you know, we we assume that everyone has the same perspective on money, but that's often not true. People, there are people that will say, hey, I made money. I'm going to spoil my kids. I don't care. There are people that say, I'm going to hide my money from my kids. I don't want them knowing I have anything ever until the day I'm not there. Um, you assume, you will assume as a mom that, you know, everyone's going to not get their kid the fanciest shoes. And then some kid shows up in $700 Balenciaga sneakers. Mm -hmm. And you're like, what's up with that? Like, why would you do that? But they, they won't all have the same values as you. So you do have to manage the peer relationships and the perspectives. And there are there, I guess what I'm saying is there's a lot that you can't control. And to just understand that there's only so much that you can control in terms of the things that your child is exposed to. Right. Right. Um, the other thing is to really tune into where they are by listening to them and picking up on their cues. So for example, my son and I went to pre-pandemic. I want to say he was probably about eight years old. We were on our way to a cooking class. It was in a mall and there was a Gucci store there. And he said, oh, mom, I know that store. It's talked about in this song that they play on the bus to camp. I guess some rapper talks about Gucci. Okay. Mm-hmm. Can we go in there? We have plenty of time. I want to see what they sell. Sure. So we go in there and I'm like, 
you know, and he said, well, why don't we ever go here? I said, well, mommy, and, and again, no judging. There are people that feel they want to splurge on a Gucci bag. There's nothing wrong with that. Or it may not even be a splurge. That's fine. But for me, I don't shop at Gucci. And in fact, I'd never been in a Gucci store, to be honest with you at this point. So we go into the Gucci store and I said, well, what do you think? He says, well, everything looks really nice. I said, oh, you know, well, let's look around. And he says, well, let's look at, you know, and we look at a few things and he picks up a scarf. And he says, oh, mommy, do you like this? Maybe we should get this. I said, well, what's the price? And he looked at it and I don't remember what it was. So I'm going to make up this number. Let's just say it was $700. Mm-hmm. And I said, that sounds like a lot of money for a scarf. He's like, that's a lot of money, mom. I totally agree. He's like, I got a secret. I'm going to get you the same scarf for a lot less money. I know where to go. I said, where? And he whispers in my ear. He goes, the gap. They also have scarves with G's. And so there you go. This is a kid that didn't have that understanding that you're buying for prestige. You're buying to make people, you know, think certain things about you or for your own self-esteem. There's all kinds of reasons people buy luxury goods. They're often, in many cases, better quality. Sometimes we perceive them as being even better quality because of the brand name. And also I explained to him later, he said, why was that so much more? And I did talk about that. It's probably different fabrics and maybe it's made in a different country and they have to pay to send it over here. There's different things happening. I said, but did you remember there were all those pretty pictures in there with the really good looking people and all the, all the different fixtures and the store looked so fancy and there were so many salespeople there to help us. I said, that all costs money too. That's called marketing. That's called sales support. And so you can find yourself in a lesson anywhere. Oh, right. Yeah. yeah. Even the cooking class, you can say, what do these ingredients cost? Mm-hmm. There's always an option. People have said to me, well, you know, is the fact that we don't use cash as much in society, is that hurting your ability to teach kids about money? And I say, absolutely not. In fact, I think there's more opportunities because here in New York City, we can get into a taxi and he can see on the screen, this is the breakdown of the price. And I can say, do you think it's worth it for this amount of money? right on the screen, we could have gone out and had a snack instead, or we could have saved up the money towards a video game you want to buy. And he can, it's right there on the screen. Yeah. So I think it's a lot more tangible in many ways. If you have the conversations, if you just swipe your phone all the time and say nothing to your kids, they think your phone is how things are paid for and they, they won't understand anything about money. So the parental role has to be one that is effective and you have to be very thoughtful about how you're presenting money lessons in everyday life. And I do really encourage it to be seamless with your life and not be always sit down lessons. There could be a place for that if that's something you you and your family enjoy. But I think the most effective is in the moment. To your point that you just made about we're living in this cashless society, my family and I, we just went to a Boston College basketball game last night. They actually played UVA, who was ranked sixth in the country and they won. It was an amazing upset, great game. But- This is what I took away from this as we were walking around is I saw things that were called reverse ATMs. Have you ever seen this? You put cash in because they don't take cash at the different concessions that are there. They, you put cash in and they give you a card that can be used to be, that can be swiped. It's probably something that just works on campus, but thinking about it from a kid's perspective, and how we do live in this cashless society. It's just, that was so new to me. I haven't seen that before. <laughs> I don't think I've seen that 
in real life. I mean, it does make sense. I mean, it's loading yeah. a debit card. I mean, I've seen it that is. in the sense of like, if you have a card to pay for laundry right? or right. my son at boarding school, he has a card that he uses on campus and I put money on his card. Yeah. I but don't for actually the have everyday... bills though. Yeah. That's yeah. So interesting. It's so interesting to me. <laughs> yeah. So I get this question. I, I got this question once I was on somebody's podcast and they were asking me, okay, so my daughter, who is a teenager, just saw that one of her very good friends, and you can see everything right now, right? Through social media and everything, you can see everything on Instagram, but had, had a very good friend who went with her family on a vacation to Europe last summer. And she came back to her mom and was jealous and was just like, hey, you know, how come they get to go on a European vacation and we don't? I would love to get your thoughts on this and what you would say in that situation. Personally, I had never, because again, I have little kids, so I haven't gotten to that phase of life yet. I'm kind of doing this as I go and learning the lessons that I want to teach the kids as I go. But what I had said was around that, how do you handle that situation, right? Because for whatever reason, you aren't also going on a trip, whether it's you can't afford it, you don't have the mm -hmm. money, you don't want to, or whatever it is, right? And I think what I had said to her at the time was, ask your daughter what it is about that trip that is making her jealous. Is it the experience? Is it that you want to go to Europe and you want to see something you've never seen before? Is it the time with your family? Is it Frankly, just to be able to say to your friends that I'm going on some fancy trip and you just want attention maybe, or you just want to be liked or you want to fit in, like, what is it? And see kind of what the child's response is in that case and, and see if you can sort of get to have them start, start to have the self-awareness and get to like the root of what's going on underneath. That was what I said. I, there's no right or wrong here. I'd love to hear your, your, what you would say in that situation. I think you nailed it. I would, I would do the same thing. I wouldn't start you know, the temptation is to say, oh, well, you know, you could either say something like, oh, we just have different values or, you know, they just have more money or whatever it is. Right. Stay away from that. I yeah. would focus more on why they're interested and tell me more about what you thought about it and how it made you feel. And I think that's really the best tactic because that's going to help figure out where the sort of pain point is that yeah. you can address. And maybe it was just that they had time with their family and you can emulate that in a different way, but at least you're figuring out what's going on in their head. And look, if it is just that they really like fancy things because they like fancy things, you can tune into that and say, okay, well, let's think about how you can grow up and have a job that pays a lot of money. Right. And, and understand the, you know, the pros and cons of that. And, and I talk in launching financial grownups about the fact that my stepdaughter did have that revelation. She liked living in New York City. She liked not having to think twice about going out to a nice dinner. She liked not having to look at all the price tags and being able to purchase what she wanted within, you know, obviously not unlimited, but but to have the the financial freedom to feel like she could support herself as a financial grown-up, she really wanted that. And she did switch her career path based on that. She there's nothing wrong with having an honest conversation at the right age with a child about what kind of career is going to give them the lifestyle that they want. Right. They might say, I really don't care. I'm going to, you know, live with five roommates forever. And I just want to do nonprofit work that makes the world a better place. And if you run the numbers with them and they understand that, let them do that. Don't subsidize them. Let them live the life they chose. If they say, no, I do want that Gucci scarf. You can say, okay, we can talk separately about why, because maybe there's something going on there, but also if you do want to be able to buy luxury goods, and that's something that you really enjoy. 
let's think about what's going on with you. Are you getting straight A's? Are you doing these other things to get into the best college you can? Are you thinking about a major that's going to, you know, really be focused on maximizing your earning power? What are you good at? What are you studying? You know, are you goofing around with your friends instead of getting A pluses in every class? Use it as a motivator because rather than, than judge it, you know, own who they are. Because if you judge a kid, whether it's money or something else, their identity, their friends, you know what happens. It backfires. Yeah. So let them be who they're going to be. And, you know, we grew up with a show called Family Ties. I don't know if any of your listeners know this, but there's this character. I know it. That Michael P. Keaton paid. Right. So he really was focused on earning money and the, they weren't going to talk about it. The parents were hippy dippy. He was Mr. Yuppie. And if that's who your kid is and your values are different, it is what it is, mm-hmm. you know, but let them be the, as long as it's not something you know really bad, but let them be who they're going to be. If your child says, I don't want to earn a lot of money, make sure they understand what, how that plays out but let them there. It's okay. I have somebody that I know that was like, you know what? I really prioritize being a stay-at-home mom and I want to be able to have um, a good lifestyle and a lower income. And they moved to a different state where everything costs less. Yeah. They chose that. And awesome. I think that's the best. You should do that. And if you want to live, you know, in Manhattan on the Upper East Side and own your own apartment at age 25, and that means that you are going to choose a different career path, that's fine too. But you have to let children lead their own lives and then find ways to support what they want to do, not what you want them to do. Yeah. Yeah. That's so well said. I love this. I love the book that because I love the reason the book is out there in the world, right? Like I never had these conversations growing up. I'm sure I don't, I mean, your your story was a little bit different, but in so many households, money is a taboo topic, right? Even with your kids. So the fact that you're having these conversations with the kids and, and empowering them to decide what they want their life to look like, and then take active steps in order to make that happen is incredible. I mean, I probably very similar to a lot of eighties babies, you know, I grew up watching Disney princesses and thinking that not really knowing who or what I was going to be when I grew up, I just kind of stumbled into the financial world and financial planning and found out that I really liked it. But I always just assumed that some, you know, Prince Charming was going to come and sweep me off my feet and I'd be happy for the rest of my life. And and I think that's kind of that fairy tale that a lot of us, at least in this generation now, for me anyway, are sort of battling, right? Like I'm trying to raise my kids in a different way than I grew up because I want them to be more empowered and to at least have them start on a different foot without being as kind of confused about their identity and who they are and what they what they even want to do in this world. So I think this is an amazing read, an amazing start to having parents be able to put those kind of strategies in place with their children and have the intention to start them down a, a solid path going forward. Well, thank you for the book endorsement. I really appreciate it. <laughs> yeah. Look, I, I think that it's it's always delicate when it comes to parenting, because we want advice from other people, but every situation is so uniquely different. And we all do parent in some way informed by our parents for good or for bad. And it was interesting writing Launching Financial Grownups because I had to reflect back on my own childhood and choices that my parents made. And it was always interesting, my perspective and then the parents' perspective. My mother's no longer with us, but I did get a chance to talk to my father about some things. And for example, 
I questioned, because I do think that when it comes to cars, it's really important for kids, young adults to have some skin in the game, you know, pay the insurance or pay part of the car, something so that it's not just given to them. And I had to wrestle with the fact that my father just bought me a car. And I could, I almost confess it in the book. Like I, there's clearly a lot of guilt and shame. shame. And I'm like, yeah. I just feel so bad because like, I know so many people struggle. And my dad just like bought me a car. It wasn't the fanciest car, was a good enough, safe enough car. And I didn't really get to, I chose a little, maybe I chose the color, whatever. But basically he chose the car. I've never been a car person. And I said, why did you just buy me the car? And he's like, well, I didn't think of it as buying you a car. I just needed you to drive your siblings around. So, ba-boom, you know, yeah, there's like the yeah. joke, you know, like you feel like the drum's going, tch-tch-tch. That's the punchline. Like at the end of the day, there's totally, I was like, he just bought me a car. How financially irresponsible. He wasn't teaching me a lesson, but sometimes, sometimes things are not about you. It's not, it wasn't my father buying me a car and paying the insurance and reimbursing the gas had nothing to do with teaching me a financial lesson. It had everything to do with making his and my mother's life more convenient. Yeah. And it was as simple as that. He had the money. So the other, so the child, yes, he did not teach me a quote money lesson. However, he himself was being his own financial grown-up. He was using his financial resources to delegate something Mm -hmm. to someone else that he no longer had to do, buying himself freedom, which is a great thing. Yes. I was going to say that's that's a value, right? (laughs) Right. So it's a whole different perspective when we see it as adults, we see what our parents did. So I think it's so interesting hearing your perspective about your parents and how that informs your behavior with children. With Ashley, who, as I said, you know, wrote the epilogue in the book, which I encourage everyone, you know, first thing you should read is the epilogue. You know, we did not help her with the down payment, but we did let her live rent free in our home for two years. And we did pay for her college. So she had big advantage in not having any college debt, which is a huge gift for any parent to be able to give their child. I love the idea of having some skin in the game, but minimal let them pay it off in like a hot second. Let them understand how much college costs. Um, One thing I did with my stepson, who is now one year out of school or almost a year out of school, is I put the money into his account and then had him pay it Mm -hmm. so that he was the one seeing the bursar bills. So even though we paid for college, he had to ask me for the money. He had to see the bill and we paid for it, but he was seeing the bills at least. And I know a lot of parents might judge me for that. And I encourage parents not to judge each other. But I felt at least that was something I would have liked as a concept for the kids to have skin in the game. But I think it's also important to respect your partner. My husband felt very strongly that since both of us had our parents pay for our college outright, we needed to do that for our children as well, given that we could. And so it's a little tricky. You have to have your financial values, but you have to find the equilibrium between your partners. Yeah. So that's also an important thing for people to remember that a lot of the things that we've done are a compromise. They're not always what one of us thinks. And you have to pick your battles. I felt he made a compelling point, even though, yeah, I thought the kids should have paid for something in college. I didn't, you know, and he didn't. And he made a good argument. I'm like, you're right. So, you know, you got to give in on some things when you see that your partner made a really good point. Yeah, absolutely. It's, I, I think about my life. I mean, my husband grew up in a very different, again, sort of, helicopter parent, as you were saying before, and our concierge parent always being given everything and will be able to come and swoop in and help out with financially if need be and stuff like that. And I just really, it's not that it causes tension because I really love money conversations and what's going on behind the scenes, but it's just that it it's, it's a difference. And you do have to find ways of compromising because you each have two very different views on things. And so how do we want to collectively, you know, 
get to yeah. the ultimate goal here and and raise our children and how do we want them to be thinking about this as they get into the real world i in my in my day job as a financial planner i see this exact topic a lot parents who are trying to figure out how they're going to pay for college, how they're going to save for their kids' school. And if they want the kids to have debt coming out of school, and and if not, and, and the, it just really initiates some very interesting conversations for us to have internally as we're meeting with our clients and for also the, you know, cu- the couple to have on their own. And um, yeah, I mean, this is stuff that's, it's so important, I think, to be able to compromise on and to again, get back to the ultimate intention. What is that feeling that we want? What is the ultimate goal here? And and working together to get towards that goal. Very well said. Yeah. So I could talk to you forever, um, but I know we do have to start wrapping up. So I would love for you to tell us a little bit about your podcast. You talked about launching Financial Grownups. I know you have another book as well. Um, Just tell us a little bit more about how people can find you. Sure. So my personal website is just my name, bobbyrebel.com. You can find me there on Instagram. I'm at bobbyrebel1. I have a new business called Financial Wellness Strategies. You can find that at financialwellnessstrategies.com. And I focus on helping companies uh, deliver financial wellness programs to their employees. So if you are interested, please have your HR person or your employee engagement person get in touch at financialwellnessstrategies.com. I also work with... Um, wealth management companies on helping them retain clients in terms of um, generational wealth retention, because we know that a lot of money, a lot of generations, you know, the wealth does not last through multiple generations. So it's really important for financial advisors to get in there with the primary generation and help them bring in the rising generations into the fold so that they can Mm -hmm. not only retain them as customers, but hopefully help the families retain their wealth. So that's financialwellnessstrategies.com. And of course, launching financial grownups is available everywhere. Please, if you buy it, well, wherever you buy it, but certainly if you buy it on Amazon, please leave a review. And my earlier book is How to Be a Financial Grownup, which came out in 2016. Hard to believe. Awesome. Thank you so, so much. This has been such a pleasure talking to you and to be continued. We'll have to have you on again sometime. Thank you so much. I am such a fan of the podcast, so I feel honored. Thank you. 